And if you would like to follow along in a pew Bible, you can find that on page 224 of the pew Bible. Otherwise, just turn into Ruth. Now, back when we were young, Chris and I were living in Orangeburg, South Carolina, and I was a youth pastor to church, and one of my friends came and picked me up one night. We had to go to a uh, Gideon's meeting, a Gideon's uh, kind of gathering uh, to talk about what the Lord was doing in Orangeburg and around the areas. They were handing out Bibles. And Henry told me along the way over there, he says, look, I'm going to have to leave early. So, I, you know, just we're just going to have to go early. Are you cool with that? Yeah, I'm fine. So we went and we heard about what the Lord was doing. And then um, after dinner, Henry kind of leaned over and whispered to me and says, we need to go. I really need to get going. Uh, I forgot about an appointment I had tonight. So we got in the car and we drove toward my house. When we drove up, you know, it's dark by this time. And we drove up and I'm looking at down the street. And I'm like, what in the world are all those cars down there for? Must be something going on. Somebody's doing something. And so I jumped out of the car, and Henry said, hey, can I use the bathroom really quick? I, I really need to go to the restroom. Can I just go in and use the bathroom? And he kind of started walking toward the front door, and I said, yeah, go ahead. And, and then he waited on me a minute, and he says, well, let me just go with you. So I grabbed the trash can, and I pulled it around back. We walked in the back door, and from the living room, I heard this surprise like that. So Henry looked at me and said, you dork, you were supposed to go in the front door. What's wrong with you? So Kristen had gathered all of our friends together, and it was, I was surprised. I mean, I didn't recognize any of the cars. I, I, I was just, I, I, I've not really been surprised like that before. And uh, we uh, got to go and, and, and uh, hear people roast me. Uh, I got gifts, and then Kristen ended the night with this video by Randy Stonehill singing, it sounds so old now, Turning 30 turning 30. It's like four months before Olivia was born. It was a long time ago. Four months. Birthday parties can be fun, can't they? They can be exciting. They can be filled with good cheer. They can sometimes be surprising. Today, we're going to read about one of those great surprises in a birthday. As we celebrate with old of the fact that a child was born. Would you turn into the book of Ruth with me as we look at chapter 4, starting in verse 13. And we're not going to read the whole passage. We'll read the rest a little bit in the sermon. So 4, uh, 13 uh, through, I think, 17. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a Redeemer. And may His name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women in the neighborhood gave him a name saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. And let's pray. 
Lord, we rejoice with these ladies in the redeeming work that you did in Naomi's life. Help us to unpack it now and help us to understand what it means for us today as we consider a child that was born. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So Boaz, the kinsman redeemer, had redeemed Ruth. And as we continue in chapter 4 today, verse 13 telescopes for us nine months of personal and wondrous history after the court scene that we left last week in the previous section. Now you may be thinking, my, my, how things have changed If we were reading this for the first time, it would be a great surprise to us. We would be pleasantly surprised that Ruth had actually and truly gone, think about it, from the status of a foreigner to the status of a lowest servant to the status of then a maidservant to an Isha, a wife, and now a mother. That that is what we have seen transform in the life of Ruth as we have gone through this book. And no one would have been more surprised or more joyous and perhaps speechless than Naomi. What's interesting is, and I, and I, I just keep coming back to this, Naomi is the true central character of the story. Now through the eyes and voices of the women uh, of the village, let's consider first of all the praise of Yahweh, the praise that they give to Yahweh. Second, let us think about the blessings of Yahweh as they continue in praise, they shower blessings upon this child. And then thirdly, the grand fulfillment of Yahweh as we indeed do come back full circle to Naomi. The praise of Yahweh. Just verse 14 there. If you remember back to chapter 1 of this marvelous book, as Naomi and Ruth entered into Bethlehem, the woman spoke about Naomi and they exclaimed these words, Can this be Naomi? Really? Is it really her? Do you remember her response response to that? It was very telling, wasn't it? Uh, Pleasant. Do not call me pleasant. Do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara. Call me bitter. For the Lord Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went off full. Now remember, she went off. They went off because uh, things weren't going well. So she's not talking about riches there. She's talking about her husband and her sons. She went off full. The Lord brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? When the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity on me. But as we come to this chapter, as we come to this, these ladies gathered here before her. Wow, how things are different in this scene. Here the ladies of the village praise the Lord for the transformation that He and He alone has brought about. The women were filled with exuberant joy and said to Naomi, Praise the Lord, who this day has not left you without a Redeemer. 
What incredible words. What we see here is the reality that the Lord, our extraordinary God, works in the lives of ordinary people to bring about transformation. Just think of it here in this text. I mean, these are people that have no idea what is going on that the Lord is doing in their lives. They don't know what we know. So she has come from this place of emptiness and now fullness is laid in her lap. But we see this all through the Scripture, don't we? We see this everywhere. Think about it this way. Abraham laughed, didn't he? When God told him he was going to be the father of a child in his old age in Genesis 17. He also lied two times about Sarah's wife out of fear. But in God's hands, he is known as the man who walked and lived by faith. What about Jacob? Jacob was a deceiver. But God was working and he blessed him with fathering the 12 tribes of Israel. What about Joseph? Joseph was sold into slavery and he was put in prison. And, and he thought, this is it. What in the world is God doing? But through God's leading, he became the second most powerful man in Egypt. What about Moses? Moses not only had a speech impediment, which he doubted God, but he was also a murderer and in exile. However, God drew him to the bush and he told him, you're going to lead my people Israel out of Egypt to the promised land. What about Peter? Peter denied Christ three times. And yet now he is known as one of the greatest of the apostles. And then there's Paul. Paul was running around uh, killing Christians. And then, you know, his name was Saul at that time. He's running around and he's killing Christians and he's persecuting them. And then God reaches to him and he opens his eyes. And his teachings in the, in the Bible are, are, are of the most of anyone in the New Testament. And think about his missions movement. It forever impacted the world. All through the world, Word of God, um, we see that the Lord reaches in and He transforms the lives of people for His glory and our good. Look at what transpired in the pages of this book. Naomi, whose life had been emptied by God, has now experienced the generous and loving refilling. He had never abandoned her. He had never forsaken her. And the ladies here were giving praise to this profound fact. The Lord is a redeemer. He is a restorer. A God of loving kindness. So I ask you the question, where do you see God working in your life? Where do you see Him working in your life? Where is He transforming and changing you? Or perhaps your circumstances? Do you give Him praise for this? Do you proclaim His name for this? Do you worship Him for this? Perhaps you're in a place where you don't see the transformation taking place. I've been there. I get it. Perhaps you wonder, am I always going to struggle like this? 
Will I always suffer in this way? We know Naomi felt the same way. We see it in her speech at the first of the book. And if you read the Bible, so did Joseph, and so did Moses in exile. And can you imagine Peter's thoughts after denying Jesus and watching him die? God lifted them up. He transformed them. Whether we can see it or not, we know that it's true of us as well. Why? Because Jesus said these powerful and wondrous words in the book of Revelation. He said, Behold, I make all things new. This includes you. Along with these other ordinary biblical people. So whether you see it or not, give Him praise for what He has done in bringing you Bringing, I should say, to you such a great salvation. He has sent His Son. And also praise Him for what He's still doing. So even if you can't see it, He is still working behind the scenes. And perhaps as the old hymn say, says, Farther alone, farther alone, you will understand why. He is working in you. So give Him praise. The second thing that we see here is that the ladies were giving the blessings of Yahweh in 14 through 17. As we continue in verse 14, the ladies continue with their praise through blessings. Now, look at the passage. It says, May He become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is better to you than seven sons, has given him birth. As the Lord has done great things, may he continue to bless the Redeemer by making his name great through his redemption activities. That's what they're communicating here. It should be noted that these women speak, and if you read it for the first time, you almost think they're they're giving praise to Boaz. But it's not Boaz that they're speaking of. It is the child. The child is the Goel, the Redeemer. They say, He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. Literally, the Hebrew... Uh, here for restore of life reads this way. He who causes life to return. So Naomi who said that she had returned empty is now reminded even in the voices here of the women of the blessings of God by the renewing of life and the giving of hope for a future. Her words are turned on their head. It was true that when Naomi had returned to Bethlehem from Moab, she was empty. And she, she had no hope, especially for the future. Yet through the Lord's kindness in providing her with a Redeemer, a restorer of life, her life was renewed and, a chi- and the child on her lap gave her hope for the future. But there's another thing here besides that that I want you to see. As I was studying this week 
there was this one little section in, in Dr. Ferguson's commentary on Ruth that pointed out something here that I thought was significant for us, for us to think about as we consider the blessings of the Lord in a broken world. This is what he says. Listen to these words. But while Naomi experiences this fullness, we should, we should not be oblivious to the dark night through which she has come. The blessings of the child is real. It is glorious. But it is not meant to be a substitute for what she has lost. We need to be realistic as the author of Ruth. Whatever interim blessing and fullness we experience as the community of God's people, there will always be in this world a sense of incompleteness. Of not yetness. We lose the most precious possessions in our lives, and in this world, nothing can ever take their place. So it is with Naomi. Is there no final resolution? Yes. Yes, there is. But it lies far beyond the lifetime. Naomi. Do you see what Ferguson is telling us here? When I shared this before, when I was a young man, my father died in, in, in September. And so you can imagine coming up to the Christmas season. It's just the oddest thing. Most of you have experienced this. It's the oddest thing. He was there. He was in my life for those you know, 14 years. And he's gone. Nothing can replace that. However, I want to tell you about something else. Throughout that time, from the time I was 14 to, you know, 19, to 29, to 39, to 49, to where I am today, the Lord has put men in my life who have been mentors and encouragers and, 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 and those who would pray for me and almost be in that place of my father. Uh, my, my friend Randy, his, his dad David, would pick me up, you know, for years after my dad died on Saturdays and take me uh, to places. Um, once I began to drive and I began to get out and everything and... and um, I started going to church. I met a man named Lanny Smith. Lanny Smith would invite me in his home. And, and I remember the first Christmas that I was a Christian. And I remember going into their home. And I still remember the music. I remember all the things that pointed to Jesus, that pointed to redemption. And I was happy and complacent. And it was all good. Years later, I can name man after man after man. Henry and Dan and Danny and Roger. And on and on and on the list goes. But nothing will replace my father. And yet the Lord has blessed me so richly with so many fathers. 
You see, the Lord is good. They have not replaced my dad. But they have been my dad's when I needed the blessing of the Father. The great blessings of the Lord in this world of brokenness should not be overlooked. Even though we will not always have completeness in this world. So let me ask you a question. Do you notice the blessings of God in your life? How He takes a situation of great anxiety and He works it out. How He provides graciously or perhaps brings the right person at just the right time for just the right friendship or the right help you need. Do you delight to watch in the fingerprints of God as they work and bring blessing to not only you, but to others around you? Listen, brothers and sisters of Christ, if you will open your eyes, you will see the hand of God working everywhere. And also know this, at the same time, it's okay to feel the sense of incompleteness and not yetness in this world. And for some of us, that is especially true at Christmas time. You know, my wife tells me from time to time, you're a sire. You sigh a lot. Why do you sigh? I actually do sigh a lot, but until she pointed out, I didn't notice it very much. When she asked me about it recently, you know, I started thinking about it. Why do I sigh so much? It's weird, right? When I'm thinking about this, and I was thinking about my sighing, I think it comes from this. This incompleteness. This not yetness. The feelings of sometimes emptiness. The uh, fears of growing older. Maybe it does for you as well at this time. But let me tell you this. For those of you who are fellow sires, and those for you who are even more positive in your outlook, and we need you. We need you. The sires need you. Ferguson pointed out the Easter egg that was laid out far beyond the lifetime of Naomi. It points us to the ultimate reality of renewed lives and hope for the future even in the midst of great loss and pain of the cursed world. So let's finish up this morning by looking finally at the grand fulfillment of Yahweh. Verses 18 through 22. Let's read this passage together. Starting in verse 18. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron, and Hezron fathered Ram, and Ram fathered Amimadab, and Amimadab fathered Nashon, and Nashon fathered Salmon, and Salmon fathered Boaz, Boaz fathered Obed, Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David. Isn't it interesting how this book ends? The book of Ruth ends in a very significant way. It's a significant statement. Uh, giving a list of Boaz's line of family over the preceding and succeeding years. The list of names covers a period 
um, from the patriarchs to David and reminds us what happened to Naomi and Ruth was part of an, of an ongoing saving work of God through the centuries. The Lord who had made clear promises to Abraham was active in each and every following generation revealing His character, keeping His promises, and achieving His ultimate purpose. However, we don't get that ultimate purpose until we come to another narrator many centuries later <clears throat> who gives another list of names. So flip over with me to Matthew chapter 1. In Matthew chapter 1, if you'll look at verse 3, you'll read the same list of names. However, notice it continues in verse 6. And Jesse, the father of David, the king, uh, and David was the father of Solomon, by the wife of Uriah. And it just keeps going, name after name after name. Until we get to this. As you can imagine... The scene with me. I found this by Harris Langford. He wrote this, and I think this kind of brings us to where we need to understand of where this is landing. Listen to this. Fast forward from these names listed to a couple centuries later. Shepherd's massive form halt blackly against the fitful spluttering of a dying fire as he grunted in discomfort. Then he rose to his nearly seven foot height. Another watched through his slitted eyes from his bedroll on the perimeter of the small circle of men. His hand drifted almost in reflex to the dagger strapped beneath his left arm. He had forgotten more about the Maccabean Wars than others would ever remember. Any movement at night was an alarm until he identified it. So he relaxed as he heard his friend muttering, most of the sheep clumped together in groups across the hillside that night. They had refused to gather, and even the dogs had given up in disgust in their attempt to round up the empty-headed creatures. Some men slept, while others lay quietly awake thinking about their wives and children, a never-ending increase in prices and the new taxation census ordered by Caesar Augustus, who had obviously never had to stand in line or herd sheep. The night snored on as it had for thousands of years. Then suddenly, there he was. With no warning, no sound. A brilliance seemed to spread outward from this intruder from another dimension. And several of the men found it natural to sink in their, to their knees as the angel approached. There had been a deadly silence from heaven for almost 400 years. And as, the God who never for, and as if the God who never forgets His people had somehow managed to do just that. Not a man on those hills doubted that they faced an ambassador of the one who called himself the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And yet... Since when did God visit shepherds rather than prophets and kings? Fear gripped them like a mighty fist. 
the being spoke. Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. There were instructions. And as the words flowed on, the men felt a strange release from the overpowering fear. The shepherds never decided which had floored them most. The angel who materialized out of midnight blackness on the hillside or the massive throng of angels that was suddenly there praising the Lord of heaven with a sound of majesty, not of this world. Years later, a shepherd would wonder at at the way his mind seemed to bump against its own walls as he rethought those events. The men left their sheep and they went to Bethlehem to see the tiny infant. A few would recall an odd sensation, a feeling of completeness as if the pieces of the puzzle had somehow been locked into place that night. An even fewer number would remember an entry in the local family registry developed through Caesar's new census. City records contained the following notation about the ancestry of this child. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. And verse 16, And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. A child is born. A redeemer. The redeemer. Jesus Christ was the ultimate fulfillment of God's covenant promise to Abraham to bless all peoples of the earth through him. And he came through the line of Ruth. Brothers and sisters in Christ, the world needs a Savior. As Lee and I were coming to church this morning, uh, that's not in my manuscript here. I, I was pulling out at the light and I was looking at the traffic going by and those words came into my mind as I thought about it. The world needs a Savior. You know, Christmas time is a, a perfect opportunity to connect to those who need Jesus. I would challenge you to, if you haven't done one of these yet, to grab one of these yellow cards and to list uh, three, at least three names on here and begin to pray for them. I'm praying for Sandy. I'm praying for Andrea. I'm praying for Keith and Alyssa. These are people that I pray for. They're on my list I pray for them weekly. Why? Because the world needs a Savior. So here's the thing. Regardless of this Christmas season, whether you are filled with joy, and it's perfectly great to be filled with joy, or if you're a sire, and the truth is, in both of these situations, Your joy will be made fuller. Your sighing will be no more. And it will even be made right. 
and the deeper sadness that is in your hearts. How do I know this? Because there was a man whose name was John, and he saw it. He saw it. Listen to his words. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throng saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. And they will be His people. And God Himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. He will take your faces and He will wipe away those tears. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said this, Behold, I make all things new. Write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. Behold, a child is born, a son is given. Let us pray.